When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Comes out to Essien! Oh my goodness. It's a counter attack. Here's Didier Drogba. And now Kidney in the middle. Drogba goes! Stretch it. Stretch it. Mix it on when you do. Stretch it. Chelsea 2 off the wall. And Didier Drogba has it. Drogba in the centre. McCoy just came from the ground and was four wide. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Chessie Hour. I will be hosting this evening. I go by Timson. I'm here with Dan. How are you doing, bro? I'm always good, bro. Uh, not always good to be honest, but to be fair, we're, we're winning games again. So yeah, I'm better than before. The vibes are better, <laughs> and it's yeah. been a while since it's been a while since I've shared a pod with this person. But um, yeah, honoured to be on a pod after uh, a long time, a long time apart. Meads, how are you doing? Can't complain, Timson, man. I'm good, though. And yeah, it's been a while, man. Honestly, it's been God knows how long since we've been on the pod together. But pleasure to be here. Lots to discuss as per <laughs> this Chelsea at the end of the day. Definitely. So we will probably quickly touch on the Leicester result. We'll talk about kind of the change of shape, the winners and losers as a result of that decision to change formation. Um, some summer incomings, some summer outgoings, and uh, the fate of some players returning from loan um, before we finish. Cool. Let's go. So without any further ado, we'll quickly talk about Chelsea's win against Leicester. Um, I will go with you first, Meads. Uh, Do you want to give me a quick summary of your opinion of the game? 
Um, I don't know. I think better than it's been in the past. Um, I don't think we were that good. Um, I think we were good in patches. I think there was far too many instances where I thought Leicester had control, um, especially the first, first 15, 20 minutes. I didn't think we looked particularly bright. Um, I think Leicester's shape was causing us all sorts of trouble. And credit to Potter, I think he made a few adjustments. Um, yeah, uh, made a few adjustments at halftime, and I think we looked a lot, lot better. Um, I think we could have scored way more goals, um, which is a theme of Chelsea. But, um, yeah, man, I think it was a, a a goodish performance. A goodish performance, and I think we finally deserved the three points. Um, yeah, I guess that's the, my summary of the game, I guess. But we'll get into more detail a bit later on. Nicely put. Dan, let me ask the same question to you. Do you know what, yeah? When you asked the question, I was like, let me rack my brain because I couldn't remember the game. But then I remember I, I only saw bits of it anyway. So I can't really give my thoughts on the full game. One thing that I will say is that obviously one nil up, then they equalise. A pattern before is once we go up and then they equalise and then we lose our shit. And there's not been many games in recent history where it's like, okay, when they equalise, we respond good. It's almost like their momentum builds, their confidence builds, and either they secure a result for them, which is a draw, or they go on to win it. And so for us to obviously kind of get pegged back and then go back ahead and win. I think that was a good thing. Nice. Um, I only I only got to rewatch the game after, but I was really happy with the performance and most notably uh, the individuals. So Kai having a good game, Enzo showing why we spent the money that we did, and ultimately, well, do you know what? And um, Potter's impact on the game in terms of um, the changes that he made in terms of game state. So, in terms of what you, we'll move on to just Potter's influence. Obviously, he did make a few alterations to the game. Um, he changed the he changed to a back four at one stage. He brought on Conor Gallagher, who had a impact, including a goal line clearance. So, I will say to you, Dan. Um, did you see this as um, the beginning of uh, Potter's influence growing on the team? Or would you say it was more um, individuals performing well again in terms of everything that we did that was good? The list of game, I can't really give too, too in depth. Um, but what I would say is that um, through this period where things have been dire, so, like, whether it was two wins in 16 or two wins in 17, I can't remember. I just remember it's bad. Do you know what I'm saying? And then, obviously, like, you can't escape it. You're on social media. Um, you can't escape it because you probably follow the Chessie account. And I was putting up there as well in terms of just the amount of reds in terms of the form, the amount of reds and reds are L's. It's Chelsea. Do you know what I'm saying? And relegation form, like, prime relegation form. Do you know what I'm saying? Like... And not over just a short period, an extended period. And so whilst that was happening, uh, stories kind of ruminated out saying, generally, if this was under any other manager, there'll be finger pointing, the manager will be digging out particular players. And they said that what's different about this time around is that, yeah, it's bad, but he's not turning the players. He's taking the flak, almost protecting the players. 
And what you get kind of with that is potentially you got players that are going to be more willing to play for him. Um, like again, the camp can almost survive through it if the wins start coming. Now, luckily, the wins have started to come. Um, obviously, listen. If if the L's come again, then do you know what I'm saying. Uh, we're not out of the the woods right now. But um, in terms of like Cucurella's come back in, a lot of people thought that he was just kind of chucked to the wolves, but he's kind of come back in. And, and Porter said, actually, I was waiting for the right time to bring him in. And even someone like Mudrich, where you might feel like he kind of feels aggrieved because he got bought for a hundred million. There were stories saying that Chelsea told him. Come Chelsea, because if you go Arsenal, you're going to have to compete with Martinelli. But, and I don't know if that's true, but he hasn't been a default star, even at the big price that he was played, um, paid for. Um, but again, no one sees the communication that um, Potter's having with these players. So whether it's Cucurella, you know, like um, whenever we see players that aren't starting, automatically you think they're not going to be happy. They're not going to be happy. They're not going to be happy. But if Potter's telling Cucurella, look, the crowd are against you. Why not let's give it four or five games just so things calm down so you're not kind of associated with this bad run of form. We start picking up wins again. Maybe we can bring you back in because you're going to be the scapegoat. So I don't want you to be the scapegoat. So let me just kind of... And so whereas you might automatically think Cucurella might start turning against Potter because he's leaving him out. How he may, I'm not saying he's handled like this, but I'm just... Like he literally said himself that he wanted to find the right moment because the crowd were turning against him. And so... Um, again, like it doesn't surprise me where, like, uh, I think Kai Havertz, obviously, who's continually played and he's backed him, and it's the first time that kind of Kai's had that from a manager at Chelsea, where like it just seems that come rain or shine, he's gonna stick with Kai. Do you know what I'm saying? And I think that that type of stuff is, uh, it's gold. Do you know what I'm saying? Because you can't give that to every single player, but you're not necessarily going to see a player at their best if they can't keep on getting taken out and they don't finish games. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, Kai, this is the first time we're seeing Kai with that regular thing. And so, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Conor Gallagher, there's, there is quite a lot of players where you kind of look at it and think, actually, they're going to like Potter because he's kind of stood behind him. But even the ones that we, where you might think, actually, they might hate Potter, like a Mudric, um, what with what he said about Cucurello in terms of actually, let me just kind of bring you out and bring you back in, and almost the explaining around it, that might be why actually the camp seems to be quite happy because maybe the communication's been good. I, I never forget with the uh, Lampard when Lampard was here, Ruben Loftus Cheek came out saying one minute he started the Brighton game, which is the first game of the season, and then all of a sudden Lampard didn't speak to him. So there was no kind of handling over why you've been dropped, et cetera, et cetera. And, that, um, and so all I'm saying is in terms of, it seems like we've come through the other end of the, the L's and potentially these players have seen in the kind of the valley of the shadow of death that he's backed them. And so potentially um, that's kind of going to work for Potter. Um, but... Like that's like we've these players we've always had these players, we've switched formation. A lot of the times under Lampard, for instance, what would happen is we would start playing well under one formation, and then everyone's like, "Yes, this is the answer," and then the L's will start coming with that formation, and then the answer would be, "Let's switch formation again," 
and the answer can't be in switching formation whenever there's bad runs of form. Do you know what I'm saying? And so it's really early days. 3-4-3 seems to have worked, but I'm still kind of intrigued to see, okay, cool, these players seem like they're behind him. We're, we're in a formation that people seem to like. But when the next kind of bad turn happens, that's going to be very, very interesting. Nice. And means let me put it to you, uh, more going beyond the Leicester game. Are you seeing in this three-game period of prosperity um, the growing influence and improvement in Potter's tactical approach and coaching in-game? Are you seeing anything you like? Are you seeing any improvement? Um, just give me your thoughts on the last three games, please. Um, so I felt that was was it Leeds we beat, right? It was Leeds was the first game um, before Fana and Pedro. Um, honestly, uh, I feel like switching to the back three um, has helped our attacking output, most definitely. I think we have attacked far better. And I think defensively, we are... I think defensively, to be fair, under Potter, we've been pretty okay. Um, as in, the defenders, in terms of their defensive actions, they've been pretty okay. I think the issues that I've always had under Potter is our lack of control in games. And I feel like the three-four-three gives us a slight, slightly better element of control. I still do think that our our game is more you touch, we touch, um, you attack, we attack, um, and I think against better sides, it, we can still get punished. But if I'm honest, there's been some slight improvements. I think he's been far more, um, far less naive. I think. Um, for example, playing a 4-4-2 in the Western Fallian um, Stadium um, in Dortmund, um, I'm just like, well, oh, very naive. Um, but in the second leg, he reverted to a 3-4-3, made sure that the midfield base was quite solid. I think Kai Havertz and Yao Felix were tucking in relatively nicely. Raheem was playing on the shoulder. So there was a better strategy, I felt, um, to attack. A team. Now, one thing I will say about the Dortmund game and even the Leicester game to an extent is that they were teams that weren't playing in a low block. So they weren't playing hyper defensively. And I've always said that that isn't really where Potter sees the struggle and Potter's um, teams generally will find problems. When you, when you give a team like Chelsea space and they've got good quality players, they can hurt you. Um, and I think Potter's game, you know, as a coach and his approach as a coach, um, will be fine in terms of opening up teams that give us a bit more space in behind. But where he will always seem to struggle, in my view, is against teams that are willing to just sit back and defend. Now, we play Everton this weekend. Um uh, we'll see. We'll see if they, we've really turned the corner. Because if, if Chelsea are able to take apart an Everton side that will play deep and will sit back, um, then I will hold my hands up and say, well, maybe he has actually turned the corner. Um, but we're at home against an Everton team that are scrapping and yeah, scrapping for everything. Um, we need to be on our game. Um, and the last three games that we've had, Basically, be seeing if we, we really have turned that corner and, ha and and Potter can show me 
that he can kind of compose a team that can actually break down a low defensive block. Um, because it wouldn't be a surprise if we were to lose the game um, because Everton are scrapping, scrapping in their box, fighting for every ball and then beat us on the counter-attack. I, I, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, but to be fair to Potter, in the crunch games, it's been three games where they've said it, you know, all must wins. Um, and he's got the wins. So I can't really begrudge him for that, to be honest. Um, it's not been amazing, but there have been some good performers in the last few games where, yeah, his job was looking very, very precarious. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my honest view, to be honest. Understandable, and I think that's a valid point. I would have had more serious reservations had he persisted with the back four in order to shoot home as many attackers in, because we will talk, we'll probably segue onto this next, um, but he has brought in a lot of players that predominantly play wide, um, and obviously you can play traditional wingers in a back three system as part of the attack or even as wing-backs, um, as we've seen him try to do with Raheem Sterling against the likes of RB Salzburg, but um, obviously I'm not sure that's what they were brought in specifically for. I do think there was a shift in system to a back four in mind for the likes of Noni and Mudrik. But um, yeah, we've had to, for obvious reasons, revert back to the back three, and this is where the results are coming from, and it would be even worse if he were then to go back to the back four and performances were to drop, especially after making the change to the reverting back to the back three and performances improved. So in terms of the change of shape, um, would you say, who would you say are the winners of that return to the back um, three system? Dan, I'm going to ask you first. So initially when we was linked to Kulabali and I I don't watch uh, Serie A week in week out, but um, obviously at Napoli playing the back four. But I immediately had an idea of Kulibaly coming in as that central centre back in the Thiago Silva position, off the back of watching his Champions League performances. Um, and I didn't like the idea of him being more like the wide centre back, which he kind of, I think initially he was brought to kind of take pressure off of Thiago Silva because. We were linked with Aki, etc. Um, but potentially they wanted him to be the left centre back. But I feel I just think he's way more at home in the central centre back position. Um, and I think when you're playing a four four two, you could you can get dragged wide, etc. And I think that he's come in and uh, where a lot of people saw him as you know a write off, he's had some stellar performances, and so. Obviously, Thiago Silva being injured too, it just kind of gives him the space and the breathing space to kind of show what he can do. And so I think that, again, like, as you said earlier, it's not necessarily that defensively we've been poor anyway, but it just shows how how many riches we've got um, in that area. But I think that's something across the team and we still need to kind of make decisions around it because it feels just like too many players in every single area. But I think that he's been a winner of that. I think Cucurella... Um, can also be a winner in a back three because I think that um, a lot of people are disappointed that he's not like a traditional left back that tries to get down the flank and then cross it in. But he's got so many good aspects of his game 
um, especially in that kind of traditional left back kind of role in terms of defense defending I and then passing out from the back um, potentially against a one-on-one wing or rapid pace it's not going to necessarily look the best but in that left center back position again just how aggressive he is um, coming out um, being front-footed uh, I think that he's been really good there where Badia Shile's come in and everybody's kind of seen it as like okay cool he's been amazing but I feel like Kukurela in that position as well he's shown that he's strong so I feel like that's really good for him because again people aren't going to be as upset that he's not going to get down to the byline and cross the ball in he's going to do that that left center back row I think really suits him I think those two I think um in the 3-4-3 three, three, Reese James potentially is allowed to get higher um with the right back so people that might like that um Chilwell Again, he gets to be more of an attacker as well. And again, people, even if you're a left back or a right back, people are going to rate you on your 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 goals, your assists, and all that type of stuff. What you do in the final third, and so um, th- both of those guys will have more ability to get into the final third. So people can rate them more. Um, I think also with the three four three, because in the the four three three, you got wingers and then you got a false nine in Havertz what we've seen a lot of the time is the most richest area for goals um you know in the, the penalty box there's been a lot of time there's no one in that area because Kai's going to be dropping and the wingers are going to be on the outside and so some games that what we haven't been scoring it's just like get another body on because really and truly the 4 2 3 one you've got Havertz dropping false and then the number 10 is not going to be in the box either the wingers aren't going to be in the box but I think the, the switch to the three four three, not necessarily as a player, but we've got now two tens there in the, the, the danger zone. But you've also got wing backs on the wing. And so where people always looked at idea as four three is uh four three three or four two three one is more attacking. I feel like now we've got more men in the danger zone with the three four three because you've still got your wide threats with the wing backs, but also you've got your two tens and Kai in and around the danger zone. Um, and so I think that uh, it's kind of helped us be a better attacking team. Um, and it's, yeah, and it's helped Kai um, as well because Kai, again, he can, like, he's got the freedom of the pitch. He doesn't have to just kind of stand around and always be in the box because there's no one else around. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's kind of helped them, guys. I mean, I, I feel like, man, I, I can't disagree. I do think that it kind of forces Kai not to be a presence in the box. I think it forces the, the two tens to really stay there because Kai has been one of the creative outlets for us this season. Um, so I, I, I think the 3-4-3, and we've been arguing against, I guess, listeners and followers for the best part of a year, saying that, listen, the 3-4-3 is an attacking formation if it's implemented correctly. Obviously, it can turn into a backfire very easily, but a three-four-three, by and large, is a very offensive formation. Um, especially when you've got wing backs that like to attack and like to to get forward, which Chilwell and Reece James love to do. Um, in terms of losers, and I guess I'll come on to Tim's question. In terms of losers, I think oof, a loser will be any one of the attackers because you're you're losing one attacker in. in um, yeah, where you're opting for Chilwell 
and Reese James at wing back. You're losing one attacker that would have been there in the four-two-three-one. So that could be a Modric, that could be a Sterling, that could be a, less Jao Felix and Havertz because they've been playing pretty much every other game. But that'll be a Madueke. Yeah, so one of the, the attackers will, will be missing out. Mudrick, it seems like um, at this moment in time, Potter's been slowly integrating him and he, he played again against Leicester. And I think he was he done pretty well against Leicester, to be fair. Um, so it remains to be seen if it's going to be, it probably will be Mudrick and Sterling sharing the minutes in that number 10 slash forward role. Um, so the real losers are... I guess Mason Mount loses again, but he wasn't really starting when it was a 4-3-1 anyway. Um, Madweke is a loser in this situation. Um, Hakim Ziyech, Pulisic. Yeah, all, all those guys are pretty much losing out. Um, but the biggest winners will be Chilwell, Kukurea, um, Badyashil. Um, pretty much every, everyone else, I think, wins out, if I'm honest. Um only a few players, that's not a few, it's quite a significant amount, but that's more about sheer volume of players that we have um, rather than, um, you know, yeah, rather than them not being good enough, etc. It's just down to sheer volume that they, they miss out, essentially, and this change of shape doesn't really help, especially when we have so many attackers, it doesn't really help them scrapping for minutes, essentially. Another, another winner is going to be Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Oh, just because, Yeah, just because he's so versatile. When, when it comes to the 4-2-3-1, it's not necessarily a formation for versatile players as much because the wingers are going to be pure wingers. Do you know what I'm saying? The defensive midfielders are going to be pure defensive midfielders. Um, but I, I don't know. Like, Ruben can play defensive midfielders anyway. But 4-3-4-3, yeah. you can see Ruben playing the right wing back position. You can see him playing the 10 position. You can see him play. There's just more spaces for him to come on. And especially yeah. that right wing back position, I think that he does really well. Um, so, yeah, I think he's been a, a big winner as well. Yeah, agreed. Nice. In terms of losers, um, in my opinion, I'd probably say just um, midfielders who aren't Enzo, essentially, because... You're switching back and there's just one less midfield role. Uh, obviously, Ruben is someone who potentially benefits as someone who can showcase his versatility, um, like you said. So he would probably be the exception. But for the majority of the midfielders who are already struggling to get into the team on a regular basis, like a Conor Gallagher, like a Mason Mount, just one less um, set midfield role is doesn't, be doesn't benefit the midfield. Um what, what I'd say, yeah, I guess I guess so. But what I'd say with Conor Gallagher and Mason Mount is that both of them have been playing attacking positions anyway. So in that four-two-three-one, they were kind of competing in the ten position for that position. So like with the Enzo, like when I think about the double pivot, it was Enzo and one other anyway, um, and I think that stayed the same. Um, but where Conor Gallagher, because Conor Gallagher, I think even in the four-two-three-one, his role, I think it's been similar now to three-four freezing to come in yeah. like towards the end of the game. And Mount wasn't playing even with the four-two-three-one. So I don't necessarily think their positions have ch like changed with the formation change. I think that um, it's kind of been the same. But I, I do think that um, Meads was right in terms of 
we've got so many different attackers. And before we had four spaces in the 11 for attackers. And now Chilwell and Reese James being part of the attack means that there's three um, for the pure attackers, unless he's going to be playing like a Sterling or Mudrick at wing back. So that's something to watch because we've got so many men there. So it's, it's going to be interesting. And uh, just funny enough, we're talking about the pivot. And I think we do should really touch on pivots because I do think, I don't know if it's our fan base and maybe I could be only harsh and it's only relating to our fan base, but I think there's a, a massive, a massive misunderstanding and misprofiling of what and how a pivot should function. Um, because this idea that one's a sitter and the other just goes forward is balmy, bonkers in fact, because that's just not how football's played. You know what I mean? If you're playing on a 4-2-3-1, but all four all three four three, the midfield is a pivot, it operates as a pivot. So one will generally go forward, the other will sit back, the other one will sit back, and the other one goes forward. That's how it kind of works. And sometimes they go forward together, sometimes they go backwards together. It, I don't understand this absolute it seems like a sickness, you know, where everyone's sharing the same ideas that, oh, we need a sitter, we need a sitter, we need a sitter. This guy's the right sitter for us. This guy's the right sitter for us. Do they not watch how we play? Do they not actually see what a Potter or a formerly Tuchel midfield, how it should function, how he wants them to play? Potter doesn't want just a sitting midfielder. He doesn't. That's just not... Just just looking at the setups, the fact he's playing Kovacic and, um, and Enzo, the fact he'll play Enzo and Kante, the fact that he'll play Ruben and Enzo, shows that he doesn't just want to sit in midfielder. You know what I mean? Like, even a Zachariah, for example, is barely getting on the pitch. And if he wanted, like, a pure DM, Zachariah is probably the closest to it. But even he can go box to box. So the sort of midfielders that we're being linked with, sort of midfielders that we're, um, it seems like the scouting department are looking for, isn't this sitter that people think is going to magically come and save us? Because that's just not really how it works. Um what, what what are you lot's thoughts on this this sitter thing? By the way, I'll, I'll just quickly chime in on it. I do think I agree with what you're saying in terms of that people kind of look back to the Conte three four three, and they've kind of, I guess retrospectively it seems decided that Matic was the sitter, and Kante went forward. But like you've said, when you're playing a three four three, essentially it really depends on what side the ball is on, right? You can't just have someone on the left side being a sitter and someone in the right side going forward because then when they're attacking down the right side, there's going to be a big gap. <laughs> and so when we're attacking down the right, like, so let, let's kind of go back to the Conte 3-4-3 um, and we can say Matic was the left um, pivot guy and Kante was the right pivot guy. When we're attacking down the left and Havertz, I mean, sorry, Eden Hazard's got the ball on the left, Matic has to go close to him to support him because there needs to be kind of players around. He's not necessarily right next to him, but he's higher than Kante. Kante has to be a little bit deeper just in case yep. there's a switch. And so this kind of whole idea that one person sits is completely wrong. Even when Jorginho plays in the double pivot, people complain that Jorginho would go high. Why? Because they ha- they kind of have to move together. Do you know what I'm saying? One player is going to be a little bit higher, depending on what side of the pitch it is, one a little bit deeper. But you can't have them one all the way back, one all the way forward, because then... That's not a pivot. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like they have to move together because otherwise one's going to be caught in isolation. And so uh, 
this idea that I, I, I think you're right, I make you right in terms of the, um, maybe the evolution of it was that um, under Conte, we played Kante and match and people we saw when Sari came in, there was a general kind of feeling that Kante was a sitter and you had to place him in front of the defence. But then the education under Sari was that actually he's a box-to-box player. So then maybe retrospectively they're thinking, okay, if Conte, if Kante is the box-to-box player, then Matic must have been the sitter. But neither of them was the sitter. Both of them yep. would get forward. Um, And so this whole idea, like you said, even if you want a Rice, Rice doesn't sit. Rice goes up. He's, he's someone that goes up and he joins the attack. Um, all, like you said, a lot of the players were linked with, they all go up as well. And so Enzo, when people say that he's not a sitter, like... It's, it's the same thing. Kovacic isn't a sitter either. Like, Kante isn't a sitter. Jorginho yeah. didn't have the speed. But again, he moves forward too. So no matter who we're going to get, no one's just going to... It's not going to be one player just sitting. So yeah, I, I agree with you, Meeks. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Oh, let me chime in. Um, so I would probably have a contrasting opinion when it comes to the sitter. So with, for example, Enzo or um, with or Boba, parent Enzo, I've been of the opinion that Enzo has um, gravitated towards being the deeper of the two. Um, when it comes to um, defensive workload. Uh, I know Ruben can do a job defensively, so can cover, but in terms of just um, gravitating towards natural roles in midfield as and when um, each situation arises, I would prefer someone uh, similar to a Florentino Luiz at Benfica who prefers the defensive side of the job more often than not, which allows... Enzo to more often than not progress and try and impact the game in the in the opposition final third of the field. So that's where I would like someone who probably enjoys or prefers the defensive side of the game um, in midfield more so than what Enzo does or what Ruben does in that partnership. So um, whilst I agree that um, the Matic-Kante partnership, there was no one sitter, they each took it in turns. Uh, and I think at, at the level that Chelsea are playing at, any defensive-minded, any 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 defensive midfielder or sitting DM um, of that calibre who's good enough to play for Chelsea should be able to add value on both ends of the ball 
So you're not talking about someone who is just dreadful and they cannot add value in attack um, if the need presents itself. You're talking about a guy who um, their primary function is probably leaning towards defensive cover, um, breaking up play and stuff like that and giving it to people who are more creative in the final third, but they can still add value when we do come across those regular deep box that we do. They get, they're capable of picking out a pass. They're capable of shifting the ball when we're trying to find gaps in midfield, in, in, in defences and such. So, um, yeah, if any of you guys want to comment, feel free. Yeah, so, look, you can have someone, like, for instance, with Jorginho, when Jorginho is playing alongside Kovacic or Kante, he's likely the one that's going to be picking the ball up against the defence. I know you kind of focused on the defensive side of the game in terms of when it's a counter-attack, this person's got the defensive mindset. But even like with Jorginho, he might be the one to kind of hang back and always take it off the defence. Um, and so he was more likely to be deeper than... But like I think there's two different kind of parts of the conversation. The idea that someone's just a sitter, um, where and I, like even Jorginho, Jorginho, like I said, he would join Kovacic. Both of them would kind of be in tandem. They were never too far away from each other. So the idea that Jorginho just sat back, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I just disagree with that specifically. Like he might have been deeper because of again he's picking up the ball off of the defense and all that type of stuff. But it, it was it's never that because again, like they might be um, attacking down that side, the left side where that player is supposed to be. You can't just have um, like Kante positioned on the right and now he has to run all the way to the left because, do you know what I mean? But at the same time, we can buy someone, like you said, that you believe that actually he can do a lot of the defensive work um, and that kind of gives him, like Enzo, a bit more freedom to go forward. One thing I will say about Enzo going forward a lot is... It will be interesting to see. And the reason why I say that is because Enzo is not that fast compared to a Kante, compared to a Kovacic, et cetera, et cetera. So whereas people talked about Jorginho's pace, but Jorginho, again, he's deeper than uh, a Kante, et cetera, et cetera. So, but if you're putting Enzo there, then that means that player that's going to be deeper he has to do the job alone quite a lot, especially if Enzo is allowed to go free because he just doesn't have the recovery pace of a Kante or of a Kovacic, if you understand what I'm saying. So um, defensively, that might even work worse. It might work worse because, again, like no man is that, like having a man on an island just defended by himself, like it's difficult to defend. Like people act like there's this super DM that will stop counterattacks by himself. Defending all that space by yourself is tough. And so, like, the Kante, the Kovacic, whoever it was, who was the box to box, them having the pace to get back to support Jorginho, that kind of makes sense. With Enzo going kind of higher, he doesn't necessarily have the pace to get back like that. And so I think that we might even be more vulnerable that way. But we'll, we'll see. That's just me theorising. Meads, any thoughts on that? I don't disagree, essentially. Um, where you want Enzo to be up high, high up the pitch if and when because he's not going to always get the passes right but when things do break down then again <laughs> Enzo is going to have to come back and even if it was a Declan Rice for example we saw Declan Rice get outpaced by the referee the other day and people only thought it was exclusive to 
Jorginho, for example. I think people over people play too much FIFA. People completely underestimate how difficult it is to really defend open spaces. And structurally, when you're you know, again, when your your team structurally is pretty bad, it becomes increasingly difficult. Let alone if you're in a good enough structure anyway. So yeah, I, I think people will be in for a rude awakening when can and maybe not rude awakening, obviously Potter may be able to get the balance right, but I think where you've got highly mobile midfit or we've got a highly mobile and well Angolo's highly mobile, Kovacic is highly mobile. I just think even with Enzo defensively, you still see that he can get beaten quite easily. Um so oh man, I, I think we might be worse. I do think we might be worse with a Kante and um Enzo simply because they both like to get forward. Um, but we'll see. Obviously, Kante can adapt. And Enzo, to be honest, is, he's able to play the six, the eight. So I think, I think I don't know. It's hard for me to really say. I need to see it. It's going to be interesting to see, essentially. Yeah, just quickly before we move on. Just before we move on. I, think, I actually think the Kante-Enzo can work. Like, to be fair... Um, I know a lot of people want to, are desperate to see Enzo higher. I'm not necessarily that desperate to see him higher like that. Just because I feel like, um, again, in terms of making the passes, sometimes you want to be a bit deeper to make these passes. I know people want him at the edge of the box and like a kind of number 10, but I feel like sometimes because you're deeper, you're able to make those passes. Um, and, and it's not like he's the anchor man. You know, he's still allowed to get forward. And I just feel like as long as they move together, and the difficulty is forging that partnership. Jorginho and Kovacic, they got to play together quite a lot to forge the partnership. But again, we've got Kovacic, uh, Enzo, Kante's back. Who, who, who else knows who's going to come in? So I don't know. Like It's so important that we kind of forge a partnership. And Enzo, we spent gazillions on him, so he'll be playing. Kante's a little bit older, so then there's going to be that, let's protect Kante. And it looks like they might want to get someone else in, but that to making sure that that partnership form, forms as well, because I think so far Enzo and Kovacic that started to look really good, but then we might lose Kovacic. But yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. Cool. Um, so just as we wind down towards the end of the pod, we'll talk about um, transfers for the summer really quickly. So. Um, I'll ask, I'll open the floor to Meads first, but in terms of, uh, it's a two-part question. So the first part is pretty much the signing that's all but confirmed, um, Christopher Nkunku. So he's pretty much confirmed um, the ITKs and everyone you'd imagine um, who's related to transfers has all but confirmed his arrival in the summer. Uh, does he complicate the situation regarding Joao Felix? And would you prefer would you prefer to have Joao Felix sign in on a permanent or have um, Nkunku uh, kind of take over from uh, Felix from this season? Was that for me? Yeah. So would you okay. prefer? So, so yeah. Um, it's tough. Like I, I said. Earlier, I really wish 
Bowley didn't act so fast and so just there's just a, a degree of impatience that and it's really annoying because I feel like there's so many things that we've done that people celebrate that I I look at and I think, well, did we need to do this? Like Nkunku did not need to be signed in that in that January window. He could have just he would have still been there in the summer for us to go and get if we needed to get him. So that deal didn't need to be done. I don't think anyone else was really vying for his signature. Like and anyone that had the bread that we had. So I, I I didn't understand why it was so rushed. Like there was no need for it. One. And now we've got a big mess because you're looking at Nkunku coming in. You're looking at Sanjay Felix for 100 million potentially because he's made such an impression with his loan. And then looking at getting another striker. Another striker could be Osimhen. That's looking at another £150 million. Pounds. I'm just like, in terms of squad building, I just feel like we've just, Todd has just made a bit of a mess. Like, I just think some of the signings have been needless. I think, I don't see why we, and I like, I like Madweke. And to be honest, I think he's got the capacity to do really, really well here. But he's barely had a chance to really show himself. Why? Because we've got so many players. I peeled off about 14 attackers that we've got on our books that are currently here or on loan. And I, for the life of me, don't know what the plan is going to be. You know what I mean? I really don't know. Like, I can name off all the names. So, on our books, we've got Kai Havertz. We've got Mason Mount. We've got Raheem Sterling. We've got Mudrick. We've got Madweke, we've got Jao Felix on loan, we've got Datro Fofana, we've got Broya, we've got Aubameyang, we've got Lukaku, we've got um, Hakim Ziyech, we've got Hassan Odoi, we've got, um, who else? Christian Pulisic, and there's one more that I'm missing. Chuk, Chukwemeka as well. Chukwemeka. Um, there's definitely one more I'm missing. Oh, and Nkunku, 15. 15. And that's not even factoring in we potentially want a striker. So that'll be 16. It's not 16. factoring in. It's not factoring the fact that. And that's 16 players that are, have played a lot of football. They're not like, I mean, none of these guys are like, <laughs> I mean, maybe Datro like, is minimal experience, but even he, he's played about 40, 50 league games. Like these, None of these guys are absolute like novices. These guys have played football. You know what I mean? And they want to play football. So it's just ugh, a complete mess. Complete mess. I was going to say, it's not factoring the fact that Connor doesn't play in a pivot for us. He yeah. usually plays in the attack too. So that's another player. Yeah. There, there are so many There are so many players. And I think whenever I see people create 11s on the timeline and that type of stuff, who knows what they're going to do in the boardroom. But on the timeline... There is this kind of freshness. Oh, I want new faces. So it'll be all of the people that, you know, are the newest. Either we've bought them recently or we're linked with them recently. So Nkunku starting, um, the Aussie men's up top and all of that type of stuff. New faces, new faces. We've seen it already. Like just before the, the January transfer window, when we started to be linked with the Mudriches, uh, the Madawekes, they were the new faces already now. I'm seeing in the next iteration of the team, their old faces that have been phased out and there's new faces 
with the with the kind of idea of let's put Nkunku in, let's put Osimen in. The reason why I say that is because you don't know. I feel like I think everybody has to kind of change their mindset a bit, be a bit more scientist. We've heard people say that Lukaku was the final piece. Everything was perfect and Lukaku was the final piece. And that wasn't like a minority view. That was a majority view. Even the people like on the pundits and the TV, everyone was saying it. Uh, obviously, there was a minority of people, including me, that was against it. But like, e- whether you're for a signing or whether you're against signing, you kind of have to realize that, like, either way, you you don't know how it's going to go, right? So I think that there should be a more scientific approach to how we run things, like what Mead said in terms of the fact that we've changed the team or had so many signings. Uh, he's only been six months, Todd Bowley, but he kind of so many signings for Tuchel and in January, so many signings for this four-two-three-one that we're not playing anymore. I feel like there needs to be um, a period of chill where it's like, actually, let's not move mad now. And also, let's be a bit more humble and a bit more scientific. So if there are things that are working, don't throw it away and just say, actually, this new idea is definitely going to work. And therefore, we're happy to throw away this idea that's working because we're going to improve it. And I think it's so important to look at the team, look at what's working and try to keep what's working and then complement it rather than replace what's working and just the idea that it's definitely going to work. Kind of like what we did with Lukaku was like, okay, all of this is working. Let's throw this one out and then Lukaku will make it better. Or, you know, Tammy scored 15 to 25 goals. Let's throw this one out and then bring Werner and he's definitely going to make it better. I feel like now people have to be a bit more humble and there's been so many L's where we have to say, actually, this shit that is working, what is the cost if we bring this kind of Nkunku or Osimen in and it doesn't work? And so I'm not saying we shouldn't buy players, but I'm saying the, what, the, the stuff that's working, that should be the fail safe just in case the new plan doesn't work. If you understand what I'm saying. And I think too many pe- times where I'm seeing that already people are saying, let's throw this away, let's throw that away. It's going to be a difficult job because there's 16 players and they need to spend the whole summer, I don't know, to do auditions or whatever, but uh, boy, they have to find the right cut because what might happen is they get rid of like what seems to be the bad, uh, but then they get left with the bullshit and then someone else gets the good. Because when you when you think about it now, everyone's looking at Chelsea thinking there's going to be a fire sale. Because essentially, we don't know if we're going to make Champions League, right? And we need to get rid of players because of the wages, because of oh, et cetera, et cetera. And especially if we want to buy players. And so people are going to come to Chelsea to look for bargains. Um, and it might be that people are like, actually, no one's interested in one player but they're really interested in this player. So we sell that player, but then we get left with the worser player. So it's just going to be really interesting how they're going to do it. We've just come, we've committed to a lot of these young players like Chukwemeka. Um, uh, and then I don't know, for Fana, you can see him going on loan. So that, I don't think that's as bad. Andre Santos, you know what I'm saying? He's on loan. He's going to be coming back, but they're talking about buying a Lavia. Who's not going to, he's not like 28. He's in the same age range. So what happens to Andre Santos? 
it just feels like there's a lot of these signings and I don't know if there's a plan, but it doesn't seem like it. So yeah, like there's a lot of work to do. I'm still kind of open-minded. Maybe they'll figure it out, but I don't, I don't, right at this point, I don't have the biggest hope that they're going to make the right moves. We'll see. Nicely put. Um, with my views on the sign-ins, uh, Nkunku is someone who plays in a very similar position to Felix. So it just adds a layer of complexity in regards to the decision on uh, Joao Felix. So that will be interesting to see how that plays out. And like you said, Dan, um, he's been quite hasty in regards to the signings and he's been quick to scrap um, certain players or kind of write them off. Like the summer signings were pretty much just said, yeah, we got them wrong. Um, these weren't players that Potter would have brought in and the players that we've brought in now in the January transfer window are more aligned to the vision that Potter has. But then... You look at the formation change and you think, do these players really align to this uh, reverting of the back three system? So just seeing how that plays out in regards to the summer transfer activity as well. Um, so open floor, um, but means I'll probably start with you. In terms of your ideal sign-in, so uh, you can be specific and name players, but um, ideally just positions. Who are you? Uh, what types of players and what type for what positions are you hoping the club focuses on bringing in in the summer? Um, honestly, I, I don't really care for signings, to be honest. I don't really want any new signings, if I'm being completely real. I like, I was asking if we could cancel the Nkunku deal because just because of the amount of sheer numbers that we have and the, the difficulties that it will bring. Now that doesn't get don't get it twisted. I've been a big advocate for Nkunku for a long time and I'd be happy for him to be at the club. But I don't like the fact that he's coming into a club that has so much mess and so many players that we don't even know if he'll be guaranteed starts at Chelsea, which is insane for a player of his talent level, insane for a player of his standing who's had consecutive great seasons in the Bundesliga consecutive great seasons in Europe, it would just be, I don't know, it just, it'd be so stereotypically Chelsea to really get these moves wrong. And just, again, move like Todd, who's moving too quickly and quick to discard things that, you know, isn't quite working straight away or isn't quite fitting with what he wants. And it's just, I, I just wish... At some point, that Todd and Igbali take a step back and leave the football heads to really run the ship. Because the way things are looking now, to me, amateurish is the one word, lack of intrigue being the other, and complete arrogance in, in, in the operation. Because, yes, you can f convince players to come here. But over, it could be very, very quickly where a player will realise that I've actually made the wrong move here. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I don't want to be a situation where players come to the club thinking, nah, we've made the wrong move. But that feels like that's going to be a symptom of this over-eagerness to get in players. Um, 
So obviously I'd sign Felix um, on the permanent. Not because I think he's a super amazing player. I think he's a good player. Um, but I do think that he's found a new good relationship with Kai Havertz and Enzo. And you can kind of see it on the pitch. And getting in a new player like Nkunku, you're going to have to restart that whole relationship again. Um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It could be better. But I just don't know if it really makes sense to have Nkunku as well as Yao Felix. Um, but who knows? Honestly, like like Dan said, that there's a the potential for there to be a massive fire sell. So um, we don't know who's coming or going. We're talking about Kai Havertz, and Kai is playing really, really good football at this moment in time. But even he is apparently being li- included in Matt Law's lists of players that are going to be shipped off. Um, so I, I really don't know. Um, Ossip Hen's another name that's been linked and another player that I've, I've, I've liked for quite some time. But again, buying another buying another attacker does that just add to does that cause further problems? I, I just feel like we need to just take some time out of the transfer dealings and get a real idea of what we want and actually get a real idea of what this current team can produce because we've changed so much. You don't need to change again, make heavy changes again within the year. It's it's crazy to me. Let things marinate. You know, let things marinate, man. Yeah. Dan, yeah. any thoughts? Yeah. Um. So with the with the Nkunku thing, I think potentially, I I know a lot of people kind of see it and they want to reverse it, and I get it completely. But I don't think Nkunku is a deal where it's like that bad. I guess it's because all of the other players are in already. And he's not in that people are thinking, ah. Oh. But I actually think if we do stick with the 3 4 3, Nkunku's someone that could play as the 10 up front. Do you know what I'm saying? There's so many different places. Like, um, so there's that. But also, I think um, we do need someone that is a good finisher. And he seems like someone that's a good finisher. I think where, where it gets a bit complicated is. If he's coming in and then they still want a striker, again, that's another two players. And because if we do play the 3 4 3, that's only like three starting spots. And I'd say for those three starting spots, we should have about five different options. Um, because essentially, Nkunku coming from the Bundesliga, there's no, like he's not costing 100 million. I don't think he has to play week in, week out straight away. Um, because there might be that kind of, you know, adaption period, et cetera, et cetera. And so with Nkunku, like, I don't necessarily see him as the bad thing, but it's just because of the whole context of the whole mess, which is it, which is crazy. In terms of signing Zhao Felix, um, he seems like, I think, to be fair, I think he's shown, he's had a really good run. Obviously, he's been unlucky hitting the crossbar three or four times or whatever. Um but and he's linking with the players well. He isn't finishing games um, because again we have loads of subs and Conor Gallagher t- tends to come on. I think it's a bit frustrating for him already that he's not finishing games. But I I, I would sign Zhao Felix. But there is that kind of whole conundrum of 
when it comes down to it, we've just signed Sterling this season. People forget. like He seems like he's a veteran because there's been so many new faces. And so if I do kind of believe there has to be five senior players for three positions, Sterling's already in. Um, and I'm not even going to count people like Havertz because they weren't bought recently, but Sterling's already in. And Kunku's coming in. Mudric's in. Uh, who else am I missing? Madueke is in. And then who else? I'm missing... I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. But it just feels like um, if Madueke is someone that you can use as a young player, right? So he doesn't necessarily have to start all the time. We've got Chukwemeka, who it looks like he probably needs a loan because it's so messy up there. Datro Fofana, he'll need a loan because it's so messy up there. Um so, yeah, there's just a lot of work to do. I'd, I'd actually sign Felix because I just think that um, where people kind of really rely on goals and assists to determine if people have done well, I think that he's done a lot of good work in terms of, like, with Havertz and with Sterling when he's playing, them guys play on, the like, the last line of defence and they get in and they need players to find them. And I think Enzo and Felix have done really well in terms of finding those players. And I think that's been part of why we've been playing well. Um and so, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely sign Felix. And then um, with Nkunku, I don't think he has to be a starter straight away, but I don't like this pattern where we bring in these players and they never get a run to show what they're really good at and they never get the space to breathe. And there's just no space to breathe for any of the attackers. And so I wouldn't be surprised if no one wins and that's Chelsea heritage for the last, I don't know, six or seven years. Excellent. And on that note, we will probably bring it to a close unless you guys want to give a short and sweet, simple answer on thoughts of Lukaku returning to Chelsea on the summer in the summer. But um, I think your views are both pretty clear. Um, Get but... that man out of this club with haste. That's all I need to say. Get him out of here. Dan, similar sentiments? Um, yeah, no, with Lukaku, like, he wants to be at Inter Milan and it's not even... So, no. Yeah, the bridge was burnt last season. So, yeah, he, he needs to just kind of see that, see that decision through. But, um, and that note, I've really enjoyed being on the pod with both of you guys. Um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Sports Social Podcast Network.